I am very pleased to introduce to you Patty Whitfler, who, along with her co-author, Tosha Score, has written a book entitled Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. That is a very interesting title. Welcome, Patty Whitfler. Thank you so much, Dr. Brewer. You know, a just to name a book, Listen, and then let us know that it's about managing parenting challenges, it seems like there ought to be a lot more words and it ought to be a lot more complicated title. But you're saying that listening is perhaps an important key to effective parenting. Yes, it certainly is. It turns out that I think Dr. Haim Janot said many, many years ago, don't just do something, stand there. And I think he was kind of pointing to the fact that um, when we are less busy and more open to what our children are showing us and telling us, they relax and can feel closer to us. And that sense of closeness, that sense of connection between parent and child turns out to be actually the thing that lights up the brain and you know kicks it into full gear. So when children feel connected to us as parents or connected to their caregivers, um, that's when they can learn at their best. That's when they're at their most cooperative. Um, that's when they really can use their time in the world to keep thinking and moving forward and learning um, at a great rate. So this sense of connection is very, very important. And um, listening, I think, is the tissue of connection. It is how we receive one another, and it is how we feel received. Uh, So it's really important in human relationships, particularly between parent and child. So it certainly flies in the face of that very old adage that children should be seen but not heard. This is the reverse of that. And you, Patty, come to your own awareness after many years of working in this area. I I just want to share with the audience that in 1989, you founded the Parents Leadership Institute, and that evolved into hand-in-hand parenting. You've created booklets, videotapes, audiotapes, podcasts. It sounds like if if it was able to be created, you did. (laughs) (laughs) And you also co-authored Building Emotional Understanding and and created Understanding Tears and Tantrums courses. So again, you have been doing this work, focusing on this issue for many years. Were you surprised as you did this work about the value of listening? Uh, Yes. Well, yes and no. Um, I grew up loving playing with children and having lots of opportunity. Uh, My mother was disabled for part of, you know, part of our family's, part of my childhood, and so I wound up doing lots of being with the young, my younger brothers and my sister, and um, I sort of knew that children deserved respect and that warmth really helped them a lot and that playing was really fun. Those are all things that are so nurturing for children, um, and I was, I guess, possibly inclined to listen to children just because so many interesting things happened when they when I could um, but it's when I was a stressed out parent uh, myself 
that I sort of stumbled upon the deep usefulness of listening both for myself so that I could, you know, clamber my way out of being feeling stressed and having that be a, a bad influence in my parenting and listening to my child. Um, there was one time, one inc- incident that I tell in the book in the very beginning when my two-year-old, he was almost three at the time, had really bad infection in both eyes. He had pink eye, and I needed to give him drops, and he was very infected, and I knew he was going to be terrified to have drops in his eyes, and I was trying to imagine how I was going to get the drops into his eyes if he was fighting me off, and I all I could think of was you know, laying him down on the bed and kneeling on his arms, you know, and and forcing his eyes open. And I just did not want to do that to him. I thought this is going to break trust between him and me to strong arm him that way. And I had just been experimenting with being listened to and listening to other parents in order to relieve stress and help me think, help them think. So I thought, well, what if I just listened to him? And I showed him the eye drops and I said I have to give you these eye drops now they're going to help your eyes get better and he threw himself back on the bed and cried a whole lot and um, 40 minutes later after every time he would slow down I would just say are you ready for the eye drops no I need to put them in and he'd cry some more after 40 minutes he looked at me and he said mommy can I put the eye drops in (laughs) And I just went, what? (laughs) You're two years old. (laughs) But I figured, why not? So I said, sure, you can try. And I, you know, put a couple of drops in the dropper, and I helped him position his hand, and he squeezed the little bulb and got eye drops into one eye, and he splashed one on his nose, so I gave it to him for the other eye, and he, you know, did that eye too, and he got up and dusted himself off and ran off to play and the eye drops were absolutely no problem after that and I just thought wow look at that I mean I was never dreamed a two-year-old could put in their own eye drops and that happened after I'd listened to him for a good long time but was it worth it yes I didn't have to force him I didn't have to dominate him I didn't have to fight with him and he turned out not to be scared at all. He got it all taken care of in that 40-minute cry. So it's a very, very powerful tool. And, you know, what's so interesting about that is so many times children are actually traumatized as youngsters, and parents don't particularly recognize that that could be a traumatizing moment. And had you done what your initial impulse was to do, or your thought was absolutely not your impulse, that really could have created a traumatizing moment for him. Instead, what you were able to create was a moment of connection between the two of you, as well as his own sense of his own competency and self-care. So it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, he became powerful in that in that short amount of time. He became a much more powerful little boy, and uh, there was much less to be afraid of after that. It just you know, when you offload fear and grief that way, uh, it doesn't come back. You know, you may have another layer to work on, but it it doesn't come back. The work you've done stays, and that's something that's unusual in parenting. So many parents are giving their children timeouts or telling them what to do and how to do it. And when you do that, they're not learning. Um, They're just trying to, you know, not be punished. 
and um, come the next day, they're doing the same darn thing again that doesn't really make sense, and you have to tell them again and again and again, and it wears on the parent-child relationship because it feels like children don't want to listen or don't, don't know how to learn, when actually what's happening is that two people, parent and child, aren't connected, and that listening creates that connection. And sometimes when you're listening and trying to make a connection, Feelings need to pour out, and after those feelings have poured out, um, things are 100% better between you and the child can think again. I I would like to share uh, with the audience what I thought was a a fairly elegant way of thinking about what you and I are talking about and what your book, Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges is about. You say... With zero fanfare and a million interactions, you build your children's character. Their sparkle, their curiosity, their vigor would wither without the heart you put into your moments with them. Such a lovely way to explain the power of those what many parents might see as unimportant interactions. Yeah, I think... The, the work of parenting is so de- devalued, so undervalued in our society. Everybody thinks you should be able to parent like you should be able to roll off a log. And it just, it's very complex work. It takes, it takes all that we have. It takes our love, our patience, our thinking, our studying a situation. It takes our moral fiber. Um, you have to answer when you're parenting children all kinds of questions about you know, what is the purpose of being here on earth? You know, why do people die? What What is worthwhile in life? I you know, what is what is good between people? Um, what are the kinds of, you know, behavior we want to avoid? Um, you know, just there's so many things we need to think about and explain and so many challenges every day to overcome that um, it's, I think it's just very important to understand that there is no throwaway interaction between parent and child. Everything we do teaches something. Without commenting on a particular event in the news or a a particular comment by any politician, I I wonder how you would guide parents to respond to children when they are exposed to any number of the potentially disruptive, disappointing, or uh, scary experiences or comments that children may be exposed to in the media. How how would you recommend, or is there a particular way that you would guide parents to approach those kinds of conversations with their children? I think one of the first things I would say is that we grown-ups get fascinated with bad behavior, harmful, harmful behavior, hurtful behavior, and so we watch it on the news, and that is really how, how news is sold. Um, and I just think that very careful um, supervision about how much news infiltrates the family 
is appropriate. So for one thing, turn off the spigot uh, when you can because children don't need to be exposed to all of this discouraging stuff. It's, in a way, it's sort of repeated over and over and over again, and most of it does not directly touch our lives, although it does directly discourage grown-ups. But we don't want our children to be discouraged before they can even handle or understand the reasons for the events around them. So that's one thing. And then when they come home kind of parroting... um, behavior that they've seen, um, we need to understand that as they do that, they are trying to get our help with little behavior memes, you could say, little little behavior recordings that they've seen and that just don't sit right with them. So, you know, children who watch a lot of cartoons or violence on TV will try to you know, play the superhero and take out their pretend knife and do their karate chops and Um, What they're trying to do is just show you that this behavior has fascinated them. And often fascination indicates that there's fear underneath the surface. And it's very helpful to children to have you playfully respond. So um, I've spent probably thousands of hours doing, you know, playful, trying to capture, you know, a superhero or trying to capture a karate guy or trying to, you know, just falling down and going, oh, you got me when somebody gives me a playful karate chop so that they can laugh. It's like when you find a way to in- to get laughter going in play in which children are kind of trying out the behaviors that they've seen, um, that releases some of the tension. It releases their fascination with that behavior over time. And um, it shows that you still like them, although they have this funny little fascination with X, Y, or Z behavior, you know, with Ariel, the, you know, the mermaid, or, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> with Barbie dolls or whatever. It's like, you know, it, it, if you can go towards it and be interested, it's much more helpful to children than if you say, you know, okay, no more of that. This is too loud. I can't handle it. Um, so when you can, you want to go towards it and see if there's a way to turn it into play. Interesting. And, you know, as you mentioned, cartoons, even the cartoons that are considered to be okay for children can be pretty dicey in terms of the violence. Yes, um, they can. So and cartoons are full of violence. It's, and It's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, we are a society that is really hung up on violence. And um, I don't know, I think there are actions in our past um, that we have not actually turned and faced and healed from, you know, tremendous violence in the in the history of our country that has not really been acknowledged or, um, I don't know, we just haven't healed from being descended from people who have done harm to others right here in the United States. Um, and it's it, it weighs on us in, in certain ways. One of the things that you say also um, early in Listen is the fact that parents need to be aware of the fact that they are doing their best and that they need good support. And I think of all the parents and all the the societal cues that invite parents to feel guilty about one thing or another or to feel shame about one thing or another and you very early on tell parents wait a minute you're doing your very best can you speak more to that sure i i just think that each of us 
especially when we have a child. Just we, what we want is the very best for our child. And unless we are, you know, unless our minds have been altered by, you know, addiction to drugs or, you know, unless we're under tremendous, you know, social stress, um, we come through for our children in ways that our own parents could never come through for us. We just do, we do an improved job even without, you know, any special support. But I think the moments when we lose it with our children, the moments when we are harsh or just can't cope with the behavior that they are showing us, um, even in those moments we are still doing our best. We are still trying really hard to figure it out. Um, but with if, if your mind is sort of halfway shut down with stress, it's really hard to access, you know, the... your better judgment and it's hard to access any shreds of patience and so I think after I mean I I really have listened to parents for tens of thousands of hours um, over the last 40 years of my life and I have really never met a parent who wasn't really trying hard and who didn't love their child immensely you know no matter how um, hobbled they might be by the circumstances that they're in. And so my assumption is if you're having a difficult time, um, support is the appropriate response, you know, not not blame or shame. And that we, we do have feelings about the mistakes we make and the awful moments we have with our children. And that, I think the one thing to do with those regrets is just to cry about them so that they don't sit on our shoulders forever just to cry and cry and cry about the the bind we have found ourselves in um, and it's a bind every time either you don't know enough or you don't have enough support or you are just crazed with stress for legitimate reasons no one has come and helped and um, we have a responsibility to change our behavior the behavior that we do when we go nuts um, that it's our responsibility to figure out how to change it, but I don't think that um, there's any parent that doesn't have moments like this. We all share the fact that we go nuts around our children sometimes, and um, so it, it's it's so helpful. One of the things we recommend to parents is that they start listening partnerships, that they listen to one another in order to offload that stress, in order to think more clearly, in order to feel better about themselves and about their children. Um, you just get rid of the the negative feelings so that some positive feelings can flow back in. And um, what what we find is that having a chance to release the regret that you have really helps parents change their understanding of their own goodness. It helps you remember that you are good, that you did the best you could, that you got caught in a terrible bind. And um, I think that's good for all of us. The less time spent feeling bad about ourselves and the more time spent playing and connecting with our children. Patty Whipfler, co-author of Listen 5 Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. Just before the break, you mentioned your co-author. Tell us a little bit about her. Well, she's a mother of three boys. Um, she enjoys her boys tremendously. Um, she also puts a lot of verve into her writing, and uh, so she's someone who has 
done blogs and is writing has written parent articles on a regular basis for newspapers and she came to one of my support groups um, about 10 years ago and she was under a lot of stress at the time uh, one of her children was often sick and there was just a tremendous amount of stress on their family and she found the support group very, very helpful and really stayed stayed with it and really has she's one of our key trainers at hand in hand parenting now. So and I really wanted I I like to work collaboratively and I trying to write the book, you know, by myself was just not working. So I just asked her to do it with me and we took off and did it. And your co author's name again is Tasha Shore. And that the last name is spelled S C H O R E, and your last name Whipfler. Just for the audience's information, the last name is uh, W I P F L E R. Patty, listener, listening partners, you talked about that uh, a moment ago. What exactly is a listening partner? A listening partnership is uh, an an agreement, a simple agreement between two people, between any two people really, uh, that they will do just a few things. One is respect the other person's intelligence while they're listening, offer the other person warmth while they're listening, even if they don't know them very well, just assume that they are a good, intelligent, um, and and you know respect worthy human being um and that they will listen and not interrupt and um that they will not judge or comment or give any advice and finally that they will keep whatever the person says confidential they won't spread the person's story all over the neighborhood or even tell their partner what they heard in the listening partnership today it's like you hear it you think about it you remember it you understand it but you do not spread it anywhere and this frees parents to go ahead and say what's really on their minds, you know, the, the kinds of thoughts that parents all have almost every day. That gosh darn kid, what is he doing now? Why do we have to go through this again? You know, I've, I just want to shake him. I want to shake him. You know, and just basically the, the thoughts and the reactions that consume us when our children push our buttons. And it's those thoughts and reactions that erode our patience and that make it hard for us to parent the way we would like to. You know, we get caught up in our reactions and then off we go. We're yelling or we're hitting or we're doing time out again, um, even though we've noticed that it really doesn't work. So um, it's, it's a way to offload stress so that we can parent more aligned with our, our intentions and our decisions. And a listening partner is there to offer warmth and respect while we do this so that there's someone connecting with us while we are trying to connect with our own best selves and get the reactions that we have, the emotional content that we that our children can trigger so easily from day to day, get that out, out of our way and taken care of. So when a listening partnership is going well, people are not talking a whole lot they are just having a good laugh they are contacting the feelings that come up when they get frustrated beyond the beyond and noticing how frustrated they get and just being able to cry about not wanting to be to have their feelings you know pulled to that state by their children not knowing what to do but just being 
beside themselves with grief or fear or frustration. So you would see crying, you would see laughing, you would see um, if someone's working on something that was really scary, they might their body might get really hot, they might tremble, they might perspire. It's like those are all signs that fear is releasing. And so when a listening partnership is going well, you are talking, you are noticing what you think, you're kind of following your train of thought, and the other person is right there with you going, wow, yeah, tell me more. And that's really almost all they're saying. And when you're done, when the time is up, um, so say you have an hour, your half hour is up, um, they help you pull your mind away from the things that are you know, emotionally engrossing, and you have share a little chuckle maybe, and then you listen to them. So they get listened to and they can look at their experience and try to figure out how they want to be and what they want to do next. And it turns out that this very simple exchange of listening time can make a huge difference in a parent's life. I think the you know the hard things that we go through as parents are indeed hard. We've never done this job before, and here we are trying to figure out how to get a child to sleep at night who is scared to death to sleep by themselves. Or you know, there's so many problems we have to solve um, that we've never faced before. And um, but when there is someone who will listen to you about the challenges in your life then you're not going through it yourself, all by yourself. You're not going through it alone. Someone is appreciating how hard you're trying, and that makes a huge difference. And having someone listen to you while you try to sort your thoughts out means that there's twice the attention on your thoughts, and so you really, your thinking process goes better when someone is listening than it does when you're mulling things over by yourself because we all get into little ruts, you know, when we try to solve a problem by ourselves you know the same thought occurs again and again and it's not a useful thought so it's a it's a great um, boon to thinking to creativity to figuring out what's the next experiment so you can learn what works with your child Um, and it's a way that you can get rid of stress right then and there so that you go back more relaxed and more present um, into your family the idea that you have to actually name the time, you make a point of that. Why is that so important? Because when you slide in and out of paying warm, loving attention to your child, your child actually never knows whether you're going to be there for the next two minutes or not. We, you know, we run answer the phone, we have to go fix the pot that's boiling over, the dog barks and we go see what happened to him. Um, you know, we are, we are... To our children, we look like we have ADHD. We are getting interrupted or multitasking many times a day. So special time, you name it. You say we're having special time. You clear other distractions out of the way. You refuse to answer the phone. Um, You just are there for them. And they get a sense of being protected and having our our 100% attention and it attunes them to what it feels like to really be connected. So, you know, six months down the line, after special time, you know, twice or three times a week for five or ten minutes, they know what it feels like to feel connected, and they're starting to get, you know, frazzled because their little brother is stepping on their toy and interfering with this and that. They can come to you and say, Daddy, I need special time. Instead of you know, socking their brother in the mouth 
um, for the behavior that's driving them nuts. They notice that they don't feel good. They notice they're out of connection. They come and they ask for what they need. They don't have to hurt somebody to signal that you know things are not, not right with them. So it, it becomes uh, a way that children can be in charge of you know, keeping that connection going. They can tell you when it's not there, and you may trust you to respond, to go well. And when you say just the right thing, the feeling of hurt comes rolling out. So you say, I want your life to go well, sweetie. And your child goes, you do not. You always give him more ice cream than you give me. Every single time, he always gets the best. And they cry and they cry and they cry. And that's the hurt that is healing. They tell you the hurt. You don't argue back. You listen so they can feel it fully. And when they have felt it fully and cried about it thoroughly, um, that hurt is so much less than it was. Patty, please give us a website where our listeners can go to learn more about what you're doing. Sure. We're at handinhandparenting.org. Patty Whipler, co-author of Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting challenges. Patty, thank you so much for your time today. That's a pleasure to be with you, Pamela. Thanks for your great questions. Alrighty. You take care. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a licensed medical or mental health or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch with me directly, you can always send an email to Pamela at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And of course, the website is mindtalk.org. And you can go to iTunes and download the MindTalk app. Once again, I thank you all for joining us. And remember, if it's unacceptable, that's exactly what it is. Unacceptable.
I would think that one of the difficulties is really the non-judgmental piece for, for both parties, uh, particularly if they're hearing something that's completely different from what they would do or the way that they think. And yep. what you're it saying can, is don't don't respond to that because that's not your job. Yeah, that that can be hard. And especially at first, you know, getting rid of the conversational habits we have, the habit of judgment, the habit of interrupting, the habit of, oh, you know, my kid did that too. Here's my story. Um, those habits, it, it is very uncomfortable at first when you're not falling into those little behavioral ruts that we all have around normal conversation. So it doesn't, you know, it's kind of like putting on a new shoe. It's like it's a little tight at first and you're not sure if it's really going to fit. Um, but, you know, you go home after someone has listened to you and you notice that you are a better parent for the next three days until things build up again, and you go, yeah, I think I'll try that again. And the next time you go, it doesn't feel quite so strange, and you notice that although it's really weird that they don't ask you questions or butt in, that you are sort of exploring more of your own experience and kind of having ideas you would have never otherwise had and you just find that through your own experience, through being listened to, what is helpful. So we all learn sort of as much from listening to the other person as we do from being listened to ourselves. And slowly but surely, um, these guidelines begin to make sense. And um, you, you get to watch the other person come back and say, you know, after after you listened to me, I had this interesting idea and things went really differently and it's been such a much better week. And so you get feedback that your listening helped, although you didn't judge and you didn't give advice. And you know that's, that's how we learn to do this, is really noticing from other people that their lives are going better. I, I would think, too, for those parents who might say, I've got three children, I've got five children, I've got whatever, I've got more than one. I don't need to have a listening partnership. I already know how to be a parent, but I, I'm thinking that even if you've had 12 children, each child is different. So you don't know how to necessarily, you don't have all the answers to parenting that one child in front of you, although you may have what you see as the answers for the 11 children before. Yep, yep. And in parenting, you kind of never know what's coming around the corner. I remember there was there was a couple that were in a parent listening group that I was doing in a corporation nearby here. Um, husband and wife, they had two different jobs, and um, one day their little 18-month-old son had a febrile seizure, the kind of seizure you get when your temperature goes up to 105, and he didn't come out of it for more than an hour. He was just rigid his eyes were kind of stuck open he didn't respond to them at all and they were so frightened they'd never seen anything like it and they rushed him to the emergency room and the doctors and nurses went you know we we're going to take him you sit over there and wait and we'll tell you when he's okay and they just were like no we want to stay with him he needs a sense of connection he's at his most vulnerable right now we want to stay with him the doctors and nurses were really insistent that they leave, and they were both very upset. And they knew that you know, their upset was part of the reason the doctors and nurses wanted them to leave. So because they'd learned how to listen, the wife went, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be back in five minutes. I'm going to go have a cry. And she went in, and she sobbed in the bathroom 
really, really hard while her husband kind of stood watch over their son. And then after she had, you know, kind of taken the top off, off of how scared and how upset and how how really alarmed she felt, she came back and she said, you go in the bathroom, it'll, it'll really help. And he went in the bathroom and he sobbed and cried and shook with fear um, in the middle of this very, you know, challenging situation for them. And he came back and that got them both down to a state where the doctors and nurses allowed them to stay with their son for all but five minutes of the whole time that he was in the emergency room. And they were so proud of themselves. They felt so pleased that they'd been able to support each other, that they'd been able to offload enough stress to actually be thinking about their son in that situation and not consumed with their own feelings. So even if you've got five children but things are going just fine, um, that's not a state you can depend on from day to day. <laughs> and this tool is really good in emergency situations. What a powerful example of yeah. allowing yourself to feel your feelings, and particularly with support from someone you care about and trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say that parenting is indeed the cradle of leadership. What do you mean by that? I think that all of the skills that are important in bringing people together and helping them align their thinking and, and act in concert to make things better, all of those skills are skills that we can develop as parents, especially if you are using listening tools. So one of those skills is, is indeed just listening itself. If you're a good leader, you are listening in, in ways and at, at regular times to every, everyone in your organization where you are finding ways that everyone gets listened to and then you, you hear what those other listeners are finding. So listening, connecting with people is sort of the, at the heart of, of organizational success. I think the second one is being able to think about what is the key issue and if you are too upset about the situation, if you are too scared, if you are feeling too, um, too confined, you know, too constricted by what society says or by the way you've been raised, um, you can't think creatively. And um, when you have listening support, you can offload the places where you want to try to do something but you've been taught that women don't do this or that men don't do this and you're feeling a little weird about it, um, you can offload those uncomfortable feelings so that you have the freedom to experiment and see what you think. You know, do you really want to do this? Is it something that's fun? Is it something interesting? So being able to extend your your ability to um, think about the key issue and help define the key issue. Um, listening, uh, uh, one thing parents do is parents are used to having children tell them that it's all their fault. You know, you're the worst mommy in the world. You never let me have enough ice cream. He always gets more. You know, if children are unhappy, they almost always aim that unhappiness at us. And every good leader needs to be able to know how to handle um, that kind of feedback, how to handle people's tendency to target the safest um, and the most visible person around them. And so learning how not to take that personally is a very important leadership trait, and we develop that as parents. So those are a few sample skills that leaders have or must develop in order to lead well. 
um, that we have plenty of opportunity to develop in parenting. Interesting. You mentioned uh, social uh, impact. What are some of the social forces that you would say complicate parenting? We know that, you know, exposure to media and news can have, you know, its own set of complications. Is there anything else? Oh, there's lots. I think the biggest one that comes to mind is racism. Racism is a terrible burden <clears throat> on the backs of parents of the of children of color because the the threat in the outside world <clears throat> excuse me that your child would be treated badly just because of how they look or their skin color is very real every parent who has been targeted that way has grown up with it um has has suffered from it has had their um you know their opportunities limited by by it and they are feel very protective of their children, and the tradition often is, you know, I will, I will come down hard on my children so that they don't, so that no one in the outside side of our family will come down hard on my children. So I will be extra strict about them looking okay when they go outside, and I'll be extra strict about their behavior when we're going outside because I don't want them to be targeted by racism. But we wind up you know, being agents of the very thing that we don't want our children to run into. It's like we're we're being hard on them and we're being extra tight and extra worried and extra scared. And so it's um it it it's something that happens um in many ways. So I think racism is one, all kinds of um well I think sexism is another, you know, it's just watching our girls kind of lose their enthusiasm for running around and jumping and exploring the world physically and putting all their energy into little tiny doll clothes, um, that that can be hard to watch and hard to figure out what, what, to, what to do about. So there's lots of, I don't know, lots of dynamics in the larger society that get played out within our families um, that, we, that are not so easy to, to figure out. The 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 two isms that you just identified, racism and sexism, is certainly huge and certainly complicated. When we come back from the break, I'd just like to explore a little bit more how you would guide parents of all colors uh, and of all genders to sort of take a look at those experiences with their children. Folks, again, I am having a conversation with Patty Whipler, who is the co-author of Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. We'll be right back.
Patty, the the impact of society at its worst in terms of the expressions of racism or sexism or homophobia, or we could probably spend a, an hour running down the list of ways in which, uh, as human beings, we have a way of tending to want to isolate the other. So for all kinds of reasons. Is there an age at which it makes sense to begin to have these conversations with your child? Uh, do you wait until your child comes home with an example of these kinds of situations? How do you negotiate that? Um, I think first thing I'll say is that the, the best book on this topic that I know is a book called I'm Chocolate, You're Vanilla. Um, handling issues, I can't remember the exact subtitle, but it's handling issues of race in a race-conscious society. Um, and it's by um, a woman named Marguerite Wright, uh, Dr. Marguerite Wright. She lives here in the Bay Area. It is a wonderful book, and it's a real study of how children, how children's thinking around skin color and um, you know, racial identity and racism develops in you know through the years and there there are some it's just a very interesting book and very helpful but i think you tackle this whenever it shows up and sometimes fear of how people are different um shows up very early in children and in our book we have a section on we we talk to people about using the five listening tools that we describe to undo children's fears, to actually relieve children of fear at the root so that they are, you know, feeling safer in the world and thinking freely and um, basically just so that fears go away, uh, which you can't really do with time out and you can't do with instruction. You know, fears have to go away from deep deep within. And um, offering children a chance to work through their feelings in a supportive way really does heal the fear from deep within. So our, the section in our book is called um, Working on Fears of Differences Between People, and there are, I think, three or four examples of children who are afraid to get near someone because they their skin is darker or because they are, have been badly burned and so their scars are showing. Patty, we've been talking about listening and the value of listening. And, of course, the name of the subtitle of your book, rather, is Five Simple Tools. Can you give us in a bit of a nutshell what the five simple tools are? I know you talk about stay listening and play listening. What else is there? Okay. I'll name them all first, and then I'll give you a little one-sentence scoop on each one. So listening partnerships we've discussed, that's where... Any two adults who want to can exchange listening time, the favor of listening, and over time it gets safer and more effective at offloading stress for each of them. Um, the, the next one is special, well, the, the parent-child tools are special time, play listening, setting limits, very important, and stay listening. Special time is pouring your 100% attention into your child for a specific period of time and naming it special time or mommy and me time so your child knows they're getting 100% of your attention. You approve and the child decides what's going to happen during that time. So it's a time for your child to choose, your child to be in charge of the relationship, and it really helps children feel felt, understood, close to their parents. It's a great um, tool for building cooperation and understanding. 
playlistening is getting laughter going in play without ever tickling a child. It's you basically get laughter going by taking the less powerful role. So if your child is, um, you know, kind of bouncing on your belly as as you're, you know, lying down, you go, oh, 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 oh my gosh, oh, oh my heavens, and they'll laugh and laugh and laugh and keep bouncing away. <clears throat> and any time you get laughter going, <clears throat> excuse me, and you promote it, um, children are offloading stress. They're getting less scared of things and much more confident and much more full of themselves. It's really a lovely, very connective tool. Setting limits is a tool that we wish parents would use early and often. Um, setting limits is very important for helping children, keeping children from you know, interfering with their relationships with other people, you know, keeping them from hurting themselves or others, um, keeping them from driving you nuts. So when you, you know, first see that a child is kind of going off track and doing something that, you know, you've said shouldn't be done, you just go over and you bring the limit. You don't say from five feet away, don't stick your finger in the light socket. You just go over, put your hand over the light socket, look them in the eye and go, uh-uh. That's it, and just uh-uh. You, okay. Yep, you follow that with stay listening. So basically when children, you stop a child from doing something that is really off track, weird, not helpful, um, It then what happens is that you allow them to feel the feeling underneath everything that is driving them kind of out of their mind. It's driving them to do something that they know better about. And as they cry and cry or have a tantrum, you stay, you offer eye contact. Um, sometimes you touch them or hold them. Sometimes you don't. Um, that's really, you know, you figure that out with your child, what works the best, but you listen while all those feelings pour out, just like I did when my son couldn't stand the idea of getting drops in his eyes. I just kept saying, these are the drops, we have to put them in, so I'm setting a limit there. This is what has to happen next, and he's working on his feelings while I stay listen. So connection goes in, I'm offering connection, and all the bad feelings that keep a child from feeling safe and connected are pouring out. So you have this nice double action. You pour in the connection. Your child pours out all of the emotional static that's in the way of them understanding that they are safe, that you are there, that you care, and that whatever it is they wanted, um, they are fine without for the moment because they have you. So stay listening puts you in as the substitute for the third cookie or getting away from having eye drops or, you know, having the toy they just grabbed from their sister. You know, you hang on to the toy, you listen to their feelings, you keep saying, I think you need to give it back to her now. And you wait until they actually can decide to give it back so you're not grabbing from them and modeling grabbing while you do it. So... These are very powerful tools, and when you use them over time, you don't have to use them all the time. You just need to use them when you can think to do it. Um, children's behavior clears very nicely, and they become more flexible, more generous, more attentive to others, um, less afraid. Very good things happen to children when they have these ways to connect and outlets for the bad feelings that happen when they don't feel connected. And I, I, I noticed that, you know, some of these activities, they take time. Like with your son, it took 40 they minutes. Do. So for the, the, the stressed out single parent who's saying, 
I don't have the time for that. What do you say? Um, I say that basically what most parents do is they their time is frittered between, you know, you know, trying to control a child's behavior here and trying to control a child's behavior there and trying to get them to come to dinner when they don't want to. And we are kind of running around trying to make our children do the right thing with a minute here and a minute there all day long. It's wearing, it's not rewarding, and um, we don't feel close to them while we're doing it. So when you begin to spend a little more time actually using a listening tool, it does take time, but the rewards you get back sort of clear away all of these little moments that just don't work well. Pretty soon you don't have so many of those, and you have more energy, and your child is more pleased with you. Um, So it's kind of like putting money in the piggy bank. It's like you put in a few pennies every day um, in the form of special time and play listening, and um, pretty soon you and your child have a reward of a rewarding relationship that you share. Um, so it's not, you know, I, I, there was one mom who had four boys, single mom. Her third boy was just, you know, climbing the walls all the time. We ta- talked to her about special time. At the beginning of a weekend, she gave her son special time just to try it out because he was always the squeaky wheel. He wanted to light matches. He wanted to lay matches out on their lawn in this great intricate design and light them and have them burn one match to the next. And she paid attention while he did this for about 20 minutes on Saturday morning. She said the whole weekend he was an angel. Now that was 20 minutes investment, and she got back a very pleasant weekend out of that just that one 20-minute time. So... It's, you know, it's just a different way of using your time. And I think our experience is it, it works better. That's interesting. But you have to try it and see. That, that's an unnerving wish, but, but it's interesting that, that just that 20 minutes made such a huge difference. Uh-huh. And it's not like she's going to let him light matches anytime he wants. That's a special time activity. She has to be paying 100% attention, and the matches are under lock and key the rest of the time. So you're not saying, oh, I, I, I allow this all the time. You're saying, in this special time when I'm here with you, you can do anything that's safe, because it was safe while she was watching and supervising and helping him, helping his dreams come